Good morning, City Church. This is City Church Together for Wednesday, July the 8th. Wednesday, July the 8th. Uh, we're going to be back in 1 Peter today, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, and we'll read again the passage we read yesterday, uh, starting in verse 13, reading to the end of the chapter. Peter writes, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded, and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers, for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other, from a pure heart, love one another constantly because you have been, uh, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. And that is the word of the Lord from First Peter chapter 1. Now yesterday we dealt with that triad in verse 13. Uh, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded, and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so now, in the rest of this passage today, um, we are going to meditate on the following verses and that give us a picture of what it looks like to be sober-minded and set your hope continually on Jesus's revelation at the end of the age and to have our minds ready for action. Um, for time's sake, I want us to zero in on verse 22, verse 22, and then we'll pull in these other verses that sort of support this idea. Okay, so I'm going to reread verse 22. It says, since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly. Love one another constantly. All right. This verse, um, I come across verses in Scripture um, pretty frequently that if I had no knowledge that it was an actual Bible verse and I simply had to use um, my theology or my theological leanings, or the sort of camp or tribe, theological camp or tribe that I ascribe to. And based on what my, you know, systematic theology is, that I would have to judge whether a particular statement was accurate or inaccurate, or helpful or, un or unhelpful. Sometimes there are passages of Scripture 
that if my theology were judging scripture, I'd say, no, 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 you can't say that until I realize that it is actually the inspired words of the Holy Spirit, and then the rebuke comes back to me. And that is what I find one of these in 1 Peter 1, verse 22. I mean, listen to this. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth. Okay, right there, in comes my, um, in comes my sort of uh, reformed, God does all the work. The gospel is that God works for you, not that you work for God. The gospel is that um, it, the gospel is spelled not D-O-Do, but D-O-N-E, done. Like all of that would come and say, no, 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 you can't make statements like that, Peter or Petros or Simon or whatever your name is. Like you can't make statements like that. People are going to think that they have to work for their salvation. No, 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 no. We're not purified. We don't purify ourselves. We certainly don't purify ourselves by our obedience. You know, God does something for us first, and then we obey out of love. Don't you know my theology, Peter? But of course, this is inspired Holy Scripture. These are not just the words of Peter. These are the words of the Holy Spirit, which means suddenly I have to check my theology and I have to ask, what is really going on here? So, I know because this verse is saturated in the truth of the gospel. Remember what got us here. What got us here is Peter talking about the fact that the church now gets to look back in the rearview mirror at the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, that we are clinging to this promise that Jesus is going to come again. And of course, this passage ends that the word that sustains us is the gospel that was proclaimed to us. And what is that gospel? He tells us in here, the gospel is that we are saved um, by the uh, by the precious blood, verse 19, by the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Why does he bring our attention to the fact that Jesus is an unblemished, spotless lamb? It's because Jesus is the pure sacrifice for our sins. We were blemished. We couldn't do anything about our sins. So the spotless lamb of God had to, and it is by his blood that we are saved. So I know when I get to verse 22, that verse 22 cannot possibly, when it says purify yourselves, that it is not possibly talking about me doing something to make God love me so that he saves me, or that I'm dirty, and if I am obedient to the truth enough, then I give myself a bath. That's not what this verse means. But instead of ignoring it, or sort of dismissing it because it doesn't bring up one of my favorite pet theological truths, why don't we engage it? And that's what we're going to do. All right, so we've outlined what it can't mean. So now what does it mean? Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth. That's a curious phrase, obedience to the truth. Obedience to the truth. How does one obey the truth? There are a couple of phrases that Paul uses in First Thessalonians where he talks about um, the Gentiles or those who don't know God, their lack of obedience to the gospel. How does one obey the gospel, which is the truth that Peter is talking about? He makes that clear. How does one obey the good news that God is making all things new, that he is bringing his kingdom, that it is here now and is going to come in full in Jesus and that we are included in it because he died on a cross and resurrected? How does one obey that? 
Well, we obey the truth when we live in its reality. All right, what is living in the reality of something? Living in the reality of something is despite what things, despite what I see happening to me or around me, that there is a greater story that I live into, okay? Let's just make this very, very simple. Explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old, all right? Imagine your mommy and daddy send you out to make a lemonade stand. No, imagine that your mom and dad give you a set of rules and say, this is the way the world works. And so, um, for example, I want you to be home when the street lights come on. I want you to be home when the street lights come on. All right, so you go out, you're playing with your friends in the summer, and the street lights come on, and your friends tell you, there's no reason to go home right now. Obviously, can't you see? Nothing bad is happening to you right now. So why don't you just stay out with us a little longer? And of course, you look around, and indeed, everyone seems to be having fun. There's no problem, right? But what you don't know and understand is that your parents gave you that command. They told you uh, something they wanted you to obey because they see a bigger story at play. They know what you're like if you don't get in bed at your bedtime. They know it tends to throw your day off track the next day. You tend to be grumpier, et cetera, et cetera. And so in that moment, you have to decide, you have, to, you have a choice to make. You have to decide whether to go with your surroundings, which is there's no reason for, there's no reason for mom and dad. That's some arbitrary rule they gave me. Or you have to decide to be obedient and go home. Okay, so obedience to the truth is, is there a bigger reality that I see that I might not be experiencing right now, that I might not feel right now, but that I need to believe and I need to live as if it's true because I believe that it is true. So obedience to the truth is how he says we purify purify ourselves by obedience to the truth. Okay, that word purify. That does not mean to make sinless. That, That word purify there. Um, has a root of holiness to it. Holiness is set-apartness. It is um, availability to be used by God. Okay, so I am set apart for God's purposes. So when we live in the reality of God's truth, um, so one example of obedience to the truth would be realizing that fleeting pleasures, temporary pleasures, do not outweigh um, eternal pleasures. And so knowing God and living in his presence is better than sort of the sugary substitutes of, um, you know, let's hook up sex or, um, getting on Amazon and buying that next thing to sort of keep me going or make my, um, COVID presence more exciting, right? No, no, no. It's none of that. All those sugary substitutes will not substitute for knowing God, being with God, and taking the kind of discipline. It is the difference between, um, you know, when you first, uh, a child doesn't have mature taste to know, to, to think any cup of coffee is good, right? At first it tastes bitter. It takes a while 
to uh, develop a taste for something very good or fine wine or whatever it is. It, uh, immature tastes are not able to taste that. But God says as you, uh, oh, this obedience to the truth starts to set you apart in maturity, is what we learn, starts to set you apart so that you are, what, able to, so as you, the more and more that you obey the truth, the more you become set apart, the more you develop a mature taste for the presence of God over temporary pleasures, all right, so that what? So that you show sincere brotherly love for each other. From a pure heart, love one another constantly. Does it take maturity to love your brothers and sisters constantly? Yes. Does it take maturity to not cut people off out of your life when they hurt you, but to see them as total and complete dynamic human beings? Yes. Does it take maturity to see someone as more than what they post on social media? Yes. Does it take maturity to see someone as more than their worst moment? Yes. It takes this, and that's why that's why Peter writes, if, if God is calling us to love one another constantly, it is going to take obedience to the truth. It is going to take knowing that, you know, cutting you out of my life because you said that hurtful thing feels better to me, but I'm going to live in obedience to the truth. You are a person created in the image of God that I am called to love. And as people see that love, of course, it sets us apart because that is different than worldly love. That is different than survival of the fittest. That is different than pursue the greatest pleasure over pain that you possibly can. So obedience to the truth, living by God's kingdom standards, sets us apart in order to love one another. And that's what Peter is getting at here. That's where, that's all the minds ready for action that takes sober-mindedness, that takes setting our hope on him, not on whether or not Someone loves us back or affirms us. And of course, he grounds this all in having our head and our heart in the story of God. Through the living and enduring word of God, all its glory, it's, he says, all flesh or, or sort of all temporary fading away things, yeah, they can look pretty. And that, you know, that pixie, t- that pixie stick taste really sweet. That Jolly Rancher tastes really sweet, but it fades out. That piece of bubble gum, that bubble yum bubble gum, it lasts, the flavor lasts 2.3 seconds before the sugar is gone. And then it like hurts to chew. But he says, no, no, the word of God is like a great cup of coffee. Can seem bitter at first, but as you mature, oh, it tastes so good and you crave it. It's like a fine wine. And it will satisfy. This word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. And it takes living in obedience to the truth to mature to the point that it tastes good. And we can say, we have tasted and seen that you are good. And so let's pray in that direction that we will be a mature church that lives in obedience to the truth, that purifies ourselves, sets ourselves apart to love others. Let's be silent and pray. Heavenly Father, 
candy just tastes so much better than coffee when you're five years old. A bottle of $5,000 Cabernet Sauvignon tastes like absolute swill to an eight-year-old. Father, your kingdom, you know, my grace is sufficient for you as a response to pain and suffering in our life just is not very appealing at first glance. And yet the more you are with us, the more that we set ourselves apart by obedience to your truth, the more our love for your love and your presence, the more our taste for your love and your presence matures and increases, and the more that allows us to love our brothers and sisters. Would you give that to us, to this church, to those listening to this podcast right now? Will you open our eyes to see it? Will you give us endurance to persevere through the learning process? Father, we do not expect for you to to change us overnight, but we do expect for you to change us over time as we give ourselves to your spirit, to your work, to your grace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.